Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. My name is Kevin Canale, the policy associate here at MAKO, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, MAKO's executive director, Michael Sanderson. Hey, Kevin. And Michael, the circus is in full swing here in Annapolis. Committee hearings are going well into the evening. Lots of testimony. Annapolis is really jumping. Yeah, it's it's the the first few weeks that we've been having these conversations. It's been warm up. There've been a lot of briefings. A lot of times you bring in the staff to talk about a big issue you're going to be dealing with in your committee, and that's that's part of what January is about. Shift gears in early February, and uh, and the bills are really on their way. They are really on the way. We certainly <clears throat> shift gears here into February. <clears throat> so today we are going to discuss a few things. First, a twist in highway user revenues. We'll get into that discussion, talk about some new ideas being floated. Next, we'll talk about the sick leave bill. We have an update there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Despite a veto last year from the governor and a last-ditch attempt by the Senate to delay implementation, it looks like that law will go into effect on Sunday. After that, we'll get into one of MAKO's legislative initiatives, which had a hearing this week. That is Senate Bill 285, the Commission to Advance Next Generation 911 in Maryland. We'll look at the influx of bills introduced this session, as Michael mentioned, talk about some numbers and how we have evolved over time, how this compares to bills introduced in previous sessions. And finally, we will discuss uh, Senator Edward Casemeyer's announcement that he will not seek re-election next year and what that may mean uh, for the Senate Budget and Taxation Committee and Senate as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, let's first talk about uh, highway user revenues, and you have an update here for us. So, we we do. Um, we're in the we're in the phase where legislators are dropping in the bills that they want their names on to introduce. And as we've talked before, highway user revenues is the is the phrase for the share of state transportation revenues that the tax you pay on gas, the tax you pay when you buy a car. Uh, for for decades and decades, 30% of that got distributed back to local governments, shared among Baltimore City, the 23 counties, and all the municipalities, basically so we can maintain our roads. We do about five out of every six road miles is maintained by local government. All the, num- all the roads that don't have numbers on them are maintained locally. So that's the share we've used to count it on, and we've talked about how this this got cut back during the Great Recession. We've been limping along since then. It's been a high priority to get things back on track. Uh, interesting twist. Uh, you know, we were talking about this a bit last week and saying, is there the potential for the municipal governments and the county governments and Baltimore City to all get on the same song sheet? Right, because we last week we said there are a number of highway user bills introduced so far this year, and that's great, right, because that means that more people are paying attention to this issue. Uh, you know, local folks are going home and telling their delegates and senators that this is important, constituents, and we've seen a number of these bills, but now, as we discussed, there's an opportunity for everybody to get on the same page. Right, so as of a week ago, we were thinking maybe this might turn into a, a set of amendments, and this happens a lot in Annapolis. A bill gets introduced, but it needs to be refined or changed in one way or another. So we were thinking a week ago that maybe the plan would be we just pick one of these bills and everybody in, let's all, you know, get on the sleigh and turn it into a toboggan, put amendments onto the bill that brought everybody together in, in some sort of compromise way. What we sort of got, we got um, inspiration from House sponsor on MAKO's own bill, Delegate Pam Beidel. Mm-hmm. She's an Anne Arundel County delegate. She's a subcommittee chair in the committee that looks at these issues in the House. 
And she said, I, I know the Senate bill's already gone in, but I've got the House bill right here. Why don't we just mark up this bill and introduce it as the deal? So instead of having to make a bunch of changes to a bill, make this as simple as possible. Make this, you know, this is it. This is the full restoration. This is going to be the bill and not have to look at all these different bills and have legislators pick and choose and try and figure out what this one does and what this one does. Now we have a bill that, you know, ideally everyone here is on the same page. Yeah, so that's 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 the goal and I think I think it's a really good idea. So House Bill 1569 uh, was introduced today. Uh, we actually can't see the text yeah. of the bill. The, this this giant flood of bills has made things administratively a little bit difficult, but in a day's time or so we'll, we'll be able to see the text of the bill. But what it, it should have is a, a fairly rapid restoration of the municipal funding. Their their nut is a lot smaller than than the amount you need to to come up with to to get the counties and Baltimore City back on track. So it gets the municipalities whole in the space of two years, Mm -hmm. gets the rest of us whole in the space of eight years. We've got sign-off from MAKO. We brought this to our legislative committee, talked it through, and and agreed, okay, this makes sense. Uh, The Department of Transportation has said, an eight-year phase-in for the bigger bigger chunk of this is, is going to avoid disruption on projects they've already got in the pipeline through the State Transportation Trust Fund. You know, we don't want to upend that. Sure, that's important. Right. So, so, um, so we'll do it. We would do an eight-year phase-in. The municipalities do a two-year, but we get everybody back where they were supposed to be. And as as a practical matter, what we'd love to do is say, okay, delegates, here it is. You know, thumbs up or thumbs down. Let's go. Yeah, so again, just the the single bill, here it is all at once. Take the one vote and and don't have to mark up bills that have already been introduced. It it seems like this is certainly a big deal, and this is certainly what we've heard from a lot of delegates and senators, frankly, is – why can't there just be one bill? Right. And so another thing that's that's nice to see here is the sponsor line on Delegate Beidel's bill. It's not just her. Mm-hmm. It's not just Dems. Uh, the second sponsor listed is Delegate Anderton. He's a former mayor, a former uh, president of the Maryland Municipal League. He's one of the champions of the municipal restoration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, him being on board uh, yeah, as a co-sponsor on this bill, I think I think this is just pointing the arrows in the right direction. We've, this is an issue that's so important to local governments and so important to the people who have been fighting on this issue for years. That let's just reduce the potential for sideshows. Yeah, let, let's get it done and hashtag find a way. I think we've <laughs> been discussing here internally, and we hope the General Assembly will find a way. This is certainly making it as easy as possible for them to do so. Yeah. So we'll keep you updated on uh, on that issue as it progresses. Next, Michael, let's get into sick leave. So this has been a process. So last year, the General Assembly passed, as we all know, uh, the sick leave law, House Bill 1 of last year. The governor vetoed the bill. Right. This year, the House and Senate came back. First priority was override that veto. They did so. The chairman of the Finance Committee, Senator Mac Middleton, who uh, really brought the bill in last year on the Senate side, he has been a champion of this issue. He's worked on it for many years. Right. He knew that, look, maybe we should compromise here. A lot of people have a lot of questions. There's people very concerned in the business community about this bill being implemented right away. And that's because, of course, you know, the, the, the veto was overridden. So normally you'd have a lot more time. Right. But now it was 30 days uh, from when they overrode the veto. Right. So Senator Middleton introduced a bill uh, to delay the implementation the Senate took up uh, that bill. They amended the bill 
Uh, originally, the delay was going to be for 60 days. They then amended the bill to uh, not to go into effect until July 1st. The Senate passed that bill out uh, just yesterday. And then the big question was, is the House going to consider the bill today? Because that's what everything rides on. The House did not take the bill up today. So that means that the law is set to go into effect on Sunday, February 11th. And, you know, this process has just been really fascinating. Yeah, it's quirky timing arising from the strange veto process. And part of this is this bill didn't get to the governor's desk last session, back in April of 2017, until the last several days of the session. Uh, Governor has, I think it's a 10-day period of time to make a decision on vetoing a bill. And that time, you know, that that clock didn't run out before the legislature went home. They dropped the gavel. They, you know, dropped their confetti and so forth on Monday night. That's over. And then the governor had time to decide what to do. Um, There were some other bills that kind of were moved along quickly, suspecting that the governor might veto them. This one with the veto in April, then you end up, you know, twiddling thumbs until the legislature is next in session. Right. And that that brought it out till January. So it's a it's a peculiar circumstance that you have a bill like that. Ordinarily, you pass a bill in the month of March or April and you give it a July 1 effective date or October 1 is the most common. Uh, in this case, 30-day clock started January, you know, January 10th or yeah. 11 or whatever. Right else. away. Yeah, so so you know, the, the 30-day clock expires this Sunday on February 11th and I mean I, I guess there's 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 a theoretical way that you could let this go into effect and then the legislature could pass something to effectively suspend it sure. or suspend enforcement it's not it's not inconceivable that there's a reaction legislation this year but I think I think the window the, the you know the window has really passed the Senate took it up and uh, tr- sort of got everybody on board to resist, you know, taking amendments to lots of other new issues. We talked about this previously. Um, But I think the sense is this bill would get to the House and you'd have a laundry list of amendments and alternatives being offered. You might not be able to end that debate. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this, as you said, that the concern in the House, and and by the way, the House leadership was always cool to this idea of, you know, we're going to we're going to delay the implementation. And like Michael said, I think the concern was we're going to open up old wounds here. We've already passed this bill. We don't want to have this circus like atmosphere on the House floor and trying to end that debate would be very difficult. Right. So they didn't consider it today. We did support the implementation. We went and testified in the Senate uh, to delay the implementation of this bill. There has been a lot of people very concerned, counties and businesses across the state, about you know saying we're not ready yet. We don't we don't have the policies in place. We've talked about you know as counties we're a little bit different because to make personnel changes we have to have public hearings. We need to you know make time for public input. So 30 days really is not conducive for us to make these sweeping changes. Right. Uh, unfortunately for us and for the business community, it doesn't look like we'll see that delay. On Sunday, the bill will go into effect and officially become law. I think what's important for our people and the business community to remember is that the most important thing to do is make sure that you're documenting, beginning on Sunday, uh, the accrual of time for your employees. I don't think you know it's very likely that anybody from Dollar is going to be you know crisscrossing the state, um, you know, finding people and locking people up, whatever they're going to do um, right away. I think there'll be time, but it's important that you. You document that leave and have records um, starting on Sunday. Right. And I think 
I mean, I mean, you can you can see how this process is going to work practically for for our county governments, our members of Mako. We're going to have jurisdictions that, in the main, county governments already give benefits to their full time employees. We don't really have all that many part time or or you know uh, the other sort of sure, it's um, seasonal. Yeah, yeah. So we don't. That's not really the the, the centerpiece of of the county government workforce. So. Uh, we're going to have a lot of counties we're going to have to make specific adjustments because we have leave of one sort, but it may not fit the letter of this bill. Yep. Okay, um, I'm sure there will be jurisdictions who it may take until the month of March before they have the new policy formally adopted, and you'll just retroactively tally the numbers back to February 11th, and I, I can't imagine you're going to be in deep trouble as long as you you know acted in good faith. Yeah, here. if you're acting in good faith, you should be fine. Yeah. So, again, Sunday, the bill will go into effect and become law, um, and we'll keep you updated. If, As Michael said, there, are, there is always a way to go in and, and change that, um, but this was the window, it seems, and, and it passed. We're going to go ahead and take a break. After the break, we'll get into uh, Next Generation 911, this influx of bills that we've seen, and some big changes coming to the Senate. All that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, one of our initiative bills, uh, the Commission to Advance Next Generation 911, had a hearing this week in the Senate and the Finance Committee. And um, if I can say so, I think it went really, really well. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons we go through a process to pick top initiatives each year. We have you know, a committee of elected officials who who sort of chart the course and pick top you know top things that we should be focusing on, and we spend time in September, October, November, December, getting our ducks in a row and and getting the eyes dotted and the t's crossed. And the the purpose for that is this is a big deal to us. We need to convey that clearly. And one of the ways you do that is when you have a bill hearing on a bill that's your top priority. It's it's the A team, Absolutely. and and they were sure out at that Senate hearing. They were. We had a caravan of people coming in uh, for that hearing. We had people representing you know everything from Montgomery County to Cecil County to Dorchester County. So counties, large and small, urban and rural, were all there on the same page, saying that this is important. We need to advance this issue forward. Right, and these are these are the directors of of the call centers, the the public safety answering points in each jurisdiction. And, I mean, the challenge in a Dorchester County is going to be different than the challenge in Montgomery County. But for that group to be speaking with one voice and saying, we need all the stakeholders together to be working on this issue. It's going to be, it's going to be an effort that's going to take a couple of years, but we need to sort out the financial side. We need to sort out the management side. We need to be thinking about procurement. We need to be thinking about oversight. There's a long list of things like this. I, I know it's not thrilling you know, to be to be putting together a task force or a commission, that sort of thing, but I think every stakeholder on this issue is, is really persuaded that it's complicated, it's multi-jurisdictional, you want to do this right, and you want to do it statewide. So this is, this is the right venue to do it. I, I agree 100%. I mean, this effort was started in 2012. 
you know, by some delegates then and now senators, actually. And so we know that, that this has been evolving, and now we're here in 2018, and we want to advance this issue forward. As you said, there are many questions on how to do this. I think this commission really is going to set the framework for how we can best you know, move forward with the planning and then the eventual implementation. I think that is a really good selling point that here you go. It's very complicated. Let's get the right people into the room and let them figure out the best way to do this so that we can all move forward and all boats rise at the same time across the state. Right. And, and this is one of those issues where modern technology just sort of forces your hand. I mean, we're trying to provide public services, and 911 is one of those things that's a centerpiece of what local government is about. We've gotten Americans comfortable with the idea of dialing those three digits to get whatever you need. You don't have to, you know, I mean, when I grew up, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I had a sticker on the phone that said, this is the number for the police department. This is a different number for the fire department and things like Poison that. Poison control. Right, yeah. So, so you get past all that. And you have a single number in every state that everyone knows. That's a that's a big advance. It's remarkable. Um, but now you're at the point where the nature of the stuff coming to the 911 center is really different and way more complicated. And there's an appetite for even more. So in addition to you know calls coming from cell phones or wireless phones and, and trying to find their exact location. That's a big part of what we're trying to do. But you're going to have people who are going to want to, I have a photograph, I have a video, I'd rather send a text, I can't talk right now, I'm in a dangerous spot. And if you've got a phone that enables you to do those things, we owe it to those citizens to be able to take that information and help them. Absolutely. Like Michael said, that's the goal here. And, you know, unfortunately, our 911 infrastructure was built during the landline era. And of course, now we are in the cell phone era. Very few calls are made from landlines anymore. So updating that equipment to, as Michael said, make it much more user friendly, improve location accuracy. And then, of course, the ability to text and videos all multimedia to 911 is crucial. So and, and that and the idea of you know if if the the call center can get video that that explains the nature of the problem here's a photograph or here's some video that shows the person who's you know who's lurking outside the home or that sort of thing the person who's causing a problem mm-hmm. that's 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 creating the emergency that's going to have our first responders better prepared when they show up on site. They need, they'll know they're looking for this person who's just, who's, you know, fits a certain description. That's yeah, helpful. Certainly, hopefully, saves them time to, to be able to get sort of a real time landscape of what the situation is before they get there. I mean, that right. that's critical. So, so this was probably the easier of our two hearings on this issue. We've, you know, we've done our homework. We've got we've got a sponsor in the Senate, Senator Kagan. We have a sponsor in the House, Delegate Jackson, who has a comparable bill in the House of Delegates. Uh, the Senate has already shown some interest in this subject. Last year, they they took a, a larger bill that had a lot of components, and they they whittled it down to several things that we still were interested in. They they passed it, and like, the whole finance committee amended on yeah. as co-sponsors of the bill after they got a sense of what was you know what the amendments were leaving in the bill. Um, it was you know, anyone want to be on this bill, and every hand is in the air. Yeah, they've they've heard this. We also yeah. briefed that committee during the interim. They know this issue. But I think what you're getting to here is the show and really the the our focus needs to be in the House 
because they really haven't had a chance to hear about this issue, at least not as much as they have in the Senate. Right. And and so we'll be working with Delegate Jackson. And, I mean, talk about a resume for this issue, right? right. Delegate Michael Jackson, he's a former sheriff. He works in Prince George's County on Homeland Security. And so you know, in, in one of our large jurisdictions – He's the guy who's living this stuff day to day. So he speaks the language. Yeah. So I mean, it's, you know, that's kind of this citizen legislator concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's got a full time gig doing this sort of thing. I don't I don't think there could be anybody better in the House of Delegates to be carrying the water and saying this should be a priority. Certainly agree. So uh, we will have a hearing in the House on February twenty first. We'll keep you updated on the progress of this bill. But very good uh, hearing this week in the Senate, and I think that is. Great uh, for this initiative. Yep. All right, Michael, let's talk now about the bills, right? Today we saw 420 bills introduced in one day. Have you ever seen a day where there are more, where there have been more bills introduced? I, I think this has to be a record. This has to be the biggest day, biggest day ever. Um, and, and like we've been hearing for the last couple of weeks, lots of legislators walking around pacing saying, I, you know, I, I'm still waiting for seven more bills to Where's come back bill? from bill drafting. I'm trying to make it in for the, for the deadline. I, I know one of the things that happens with this big rush of, of bills to introduce is, uh, there are there are delegates who um, who they've already gotten a handshake or or an agreement that someone will co-sponsor the bill, and that might be somebody important. Maybe it's a committee chair sure, or a sure. leadership person, or you know, some someone they've been trying to work on in or with their district mate or something like that. But suddenly, you don't even get the copy of the bill until the day it has to be dropped in. There was a big scramble around yesterday, and, and the hopper was overflowing. Right? Over yeah. Her, so right. so so um, it's just just a, you know, physical mass of delegates running around with these blue bags. It's a funny looking thing. It's yep. a bundle of papers with this blue piece of paper and a paper clip and six or eight different things clipped to it. And people have like inch and a half thick stacks running around, uh, you know, signatures and everything like that. And then what you end up with is this morning, not one, but two synopses, each of them like 70 or 80 pages long, over 400 bills introduced in one day. I don't know if that's an absolute record, but that's that's like the most overwhelming morning I've ever seen. It's overwhelming, yeah, a lot of bills. And um, I really think D- DLS deserves a lot of credit. I mean, the influx of bills, along with the flu going around Annapolis, right. and I think, you know, they, they were impacted as well. It's not just legislators and other folks. These, these guys and these gals have been working nonstop and on weekends to get these bills drafted. And, I mean, it's it's quite a task, and and they've done a fantastic job to to get these bills out. Yeah, it's I mean, and and this is amidst I mean that's a department that's going through its own transition with with staff level leadership, and that's you know that's that's not a not a trivial matter either. Uh, and at the same time, you know, they're in the midst of crunching numbers on all these tax issues, other things that we've been talking about. Um, you know, the the budget analyses are already rolling ahead, and these are these are big thirty, forty, fifty page documents with recommendations and all right. this analysis. So there's there's an awful lot of paper being generated yeah. in this town in February. They are slammed. Yeah. So just to give you an idea, so as of today, we have seen six hundred and seventy House bills and one thousand and thirty seven Senate bills. By the way, there are many more to come. This is not the end. Um, the filing deadline has passed, but we expect a lot more bills to be coming. So that's sixteen hundred and seventy House bills. Yeah. So, oh, so, so yeah. yeah. So we're. So, I mean, so we're we're up. Uh, you know, at, at, at twenty three hundred bills. Or I mean, that's it's it's 
big numbers, and they'll keep coming from here. The Senate deadline was several days ago. Uh, the House introduction deadline has just passed. That's why we saw this big lump in the snake. But um, on, on Monday, there will be a big bundle more of House bills, m- most of which were probably introduced on time. They just ran out of time to yeah. physically print the yeah. bills. So, um, so as a as a practical matter, um, yeah, this is this is the big rush. But there will still be introductions each day of a few more bills. A lot of things will get reassigned to the that rules committee, where they have to go through some procedural hurdles before getting uh, getting assigned to a, a standing committee. Um, all that stuff is you know encouraged to keep things going. But you got to think think about this timeline. You know, we did we did sort of the, the session ABCs mm-hmm. several weeks ago with with looking at the calendar and terminology and so forth. But we're all working backward from the crossover date. So March 19th is the official date where House bills that you want to pass should be out of the House. Senate bills they want to pass should be out of the Senate. It's only about five weeks away. And a lot of these bills are just landing, you know, just landing on the list for each of their standing committees. And uh, the committees will start scheduling for hearings. But those hearings are going to go out into March 5th and 10th and 12th. A lot of these are going to be right up against that crossover deadline. Yeah, we've already seen bills being scheduled into March. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's it's really crunch time for uh, these committees to get the bills scheduled. And they, they deserve credit as well because they're also having to figure out ways to get all these bills heard before a crossover. Right. So so let's say, so 1,670 House bills, 1,037 Senate bills. Right. In 96, uh, for, you know, just to give some reference here, there were 806 Senate bills and 1,463 House bills. That was for the entire session. So we've already, we've already blown, uh, right we've past already that blown past that. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, you know, and last year we had 1,200 Senate bills and 1,661 House bills. So we already have more House bills this year than we did last year, and we are rapidly approaching last year's number of Senate bills. Yeah. So that gives to give people an idea of what's going on down here when we say the, fir- the circus is in full swing. We mean it. No fooling. And and you know, we're as we record on, on Friday, one of our next stops is going to be to go to our big oh. board and look at all the testimony we've got scheduled as as bills that have a county effect where Mako's taken a position or we've got something pending for the week ahead. And I guarantee you there's going to be pieces of purple paper all over our big board. I'm sure there's 40 things out there for, oh. uh, there for us to be uh, tending to next week. At least. And, you know, we have to figure out you know, we're, we're supposed to be in six committees at this time and how that all happens it's it's a it's quite a process but we always make sure we get it done we don't miss bills (laughs) all right so michael let's get into uh an announcement this week from senator case meyer he is of course the chair of the budget and taxation committee he is someone who is very very highly regarded and well respected in the senate he has announced that he will not be seeking re-election this is a big blow i think for the senate um, for the Budget and Taxation Committee, and this comes on the heels of Senators Madalino, Mano, Curry, and DeGrange also not coming back to the Budget and Taxation Committee. And so that's five senators that we know of. Right. Have you ever seen a situation where a committee is going to, a Senate committee is going to lose this many members and has the potential for this big of a facelift going into next year? It certainly is possible that it's happened in numbers, mm-hmm. but I think just the just the depth of the shadows we're going to lose here. Um, Experience is unbelievable. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This the um, B and T is as as all the insiders call it is going to feel like a really really different place next term, and that I don't mean that in any kind of slight against the the current 
current members who will likely be returning. But, uh, you know, Senator Casemeyer, we start with him. That was kind of a surprise announcement. Mm-hmm. We, you know, this is the month of February. Filing deadline for, for running for state office is just a couple of weeks away. He's made a decision that, that, that he's done and not, not going to come back. But you add to him, I mean, Senator Maddalino, the sitting vice chair, um, he's in the midst. He's filed and he's pursuing the, the Democratic nomination for governor. So he's already made it clear he's not coming back to his Senate seat. Uh, Senator Curry was was for many years the chair of budget and tax before Senator Casemeyer. Uh, so so Senator Curry has also you know made it known he's not coming back. So those are big hitters. It was several weeks ago, Ed DeGrange uh, from Anne Arundel County. He's a subcommittee chair and the capital budget committee chair. Yeah. And and if if you play this game, capital budget is a really big deal. That's not just another another beat. So and um, of course, Senator Mano is running for right, Congress. Right. So Senator Mano's seeking a, a congressional seat. He's announced he's not coming back. And who knows what the voters might have in store for us anyhow. So there's you know there's. The, always the potential for something to happen either in a primary or or in the in the general election anyhow but even if it's just those five members of a 13 member committee turnover you're talking about it's like the it's the murderer's row <laughs> yeah it's it's really it's incredible and you know I, I think you could see a lot of people were just shocked at the announcement from Senator Casemeyer he got a standing ovation on the floor this morning uh, just so well respected he's known for being fair he has a very you know, moderate temperament, um, and just he's been around for a long time, and he has gained and earned the respect of his colleagues, and it's certainly noticeable just the shock that was you know yeah. going I, through the entire General Assembly. And 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 from Mako's perspective, I mean, especially I've I've been doing county government stuff for an awfully long time, and every single one of the senators on this list is someone that we have worked with, who's reached out to us. We've you know made compromises, and we've supported their bills, and we've I've I've probably testified in favor of and in opposition to multiple bills for sure. each of these senators. I mean, that's how the system's supposed to work. But um, I mean, all all of them, um, you know, really good people to work with, and, and and you know, they'll be missed. It's part of the process that that folks decide they've 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 had enough, or they're going to pursue something else. Um, and in and in Maryland, frequently, if you want to pursue a different station than you currently have, you got to walk away from what you have. That's built into our constitution, but it does mean you'll have this this massive loss of institutional memory in that committee. Yeah, and uh, again, as Michael said, it, it's a it's a big blow, but and not meant to as a slight to um, the committee moving forward, but just that institutional knowledge. Uh, yeah. It's important, and it's it's a big deal committee too. I mean, my my background is at, on fiscal issues, and in the House of Delegates, you have the Appropriations Committee that does the budget and the spending side, but the Ways and Means Committee does the revenue side, taxes and funding formulas, and and other things like that. So. Um, B and T basically has both of those functions. I mean, not not in their entirety, but but the spending and the revenue side are both consolidated in one committee. I don't think it's a stretch to say structurally that's the most powerful committee in Annapolis. Uh, so that's it, it's a big deal. We we at Mako spend an awful lot of time in the Budget and Taxation Committee, and we will next term. And there'll be you know new leaders there, and um, you know we'll we'll be extending relationships with all of them too. Of course, we will, and um, it, that you know that is important too. That this is part of the process when you're in this game. So we wish nothing but the best for all of them, and we look forward to working with new members of that committee that's and right. the General Assembly as a whole. 
That'll do it for this week's episode. Michael and I and the rest of the Mako staff are going to go swim in these purple papers that are going to be uh, <laughs> strewn around our office and try and work out testimony for next week. We do hope that you enjoy the podcast. Give us a like and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week. Until then, signing off, Michael and Kevin. Talk to you later.